0: Waller only made it to the age of 39. Luckily, he, he recorded, he made. 100. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor.
1: in love with you. I say maybe, maybe I'm in love
0: with you. Good afternoon, You've Got Living Writers, and I'm T. Hetzel. Today, I'm so happy to be talking via technology with Diane Cook. Uh, Diane, welcome. Hi, thanks
1: for having me, T. Nice to be back.
0: I know it's so it's great that you're back. Yeah, we we talked a few years ago now when um your your story collection Man v Nature came out. Um and so it's 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 been a few years. I've missed you. <laughs> I missed you too. Oh. <laughs> um, well, today um we're talking because your first novel is out in the world. The the new wilderness, um, and and many congratulations on um, the the shortlist for the Booker Prize nominations too.
1: Thank you. That was quite a shocker. I'm very very excited about it.
0: Because you first must have heard about the long list, right? <laughs> yeah. What, what was that like?
1: Well, it was a, an email from my editor, um, and it was like just pretty shocking. I don't think it's it was not an award. I knew, I knew my publisher in the UK had submitted me for it, but it wasn't. So I knew like, well, yes, now there is a very slim possibility that you could get on the list because you're going to be considered as opposed to a book that isn't considered. But I certainly didn't think that it would actually make it anywhere. And to then get on the shortlist was quite surprising. Um, And I'm, like, really thrilled about it. And I'm in love with the Booker Judges. They're, like, my favorite people now.
0: (laughs) I know. They're, like, top of my list, too, now. (laughs) Good people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed, because for here in the States, um, the press is 1817 Harper, an imprint of Harper Collins Publishers, but Uh One World Publications in the UK. And that was same with Man v. Nature, too
1: yes yeah, so i had like my first two books under contract with HarperCollins and then um one world in the uk which is just a, a really small but great publisher um decided to take both books as well and you know before the novel was really fully done um wow yeah so that was that was fun i the edit- editor there is so wonderful I love her.
0: Oh, what's what's her name? Diana? Oh, her
1: name is Juliet. Maybe, oh, okay. and she's just—I uh, know. <laughs> um, she's just great. She just believes in the work I do, and that's really all you can ask.
0: Oh, completely. And what a great name too. When I saw One World Publications, I was like, "This is a what a great home for this book." Yeah. I'll read the, your short bio, In the Back of the New Wilderness. Diane Cook is the author of the story collection Man v. Nature, which was a finalist for the Guardian First Book Award, the Believer Book Award, and the Los Angeles Times Art Siedenbaum Award for First Fiction. Her stories have appeared in Harper's Magazine, Tin House, Granta, the Best American Short Stories, and the O. Henry Prize Stories. She received a 2016 fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts and is a former producer for the radio show This American Life. Diane lives in Brooklyn, New York. Um, with her husband, daughter, and son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, with a full house these days Many? yes
1: and and the the fun thing is that we're actually in Michigan right now tea, and and I was in Ann Arbor this morning
0: no get yes. out <laughs> what the heck <laughs> oh my goodness I was. I was in Ann Arbor this morning if it wasn't in the time of COVID we mm-hmm. could have been
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad, but I mean, there's like so much that's too bad right now. <laughs> so this I, so, is like one of the small things, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It sort of pales in comparison to, um, the, the kind of the earth-shaking things we, we hear about almost daily, it feels like yeah. right now, um, yeah, the why too Michigan? bad, the
1: terrible. Oh, my mother-in-law lives here and, um, we just had a baby, uh, in June. Another baby. So we have a, a daughter who's almost three and now we have a little boy who's four months and we just came to Michigan to get out of Brooklyn um, and to have a little extra space, have a yard, have some extra help, let, you know, our son meet other people besides us because we're basically <laughs> living in total quarantine Um so, we're, yeah, we're here. We've been here about a month. I don't know when we're gonna go back. Everything is very unclear, <laughs> but <laughs> that's where we are right now.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you're here, though, Diane. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. And many, many congratulations on on your on your baby boy um, joining. He's he's got a good family. <laughs> um, Thank well, you. You know what? And this the new wilderness let's start talking about your novel your first novel um it's it's like it's such it's also like a novel that's like a solid presence in the world there's nothing shy about this first novel um and being in the world and and motherhood and mothers have a prominent uh, place throughout the pages um Diane, could you, could you talk a little bit about how, um, when you knew that was going to be the case? Cause it's, it's Bea's story. It's Agnes's story. It's, you know, the, the community's story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there is so much about motherhood.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I always knew I was going to write a book about mothers and daughters. Um, I, I had the premise first that was like the very first thing that came to me but I think that I knew that I would be writing about a mother and daughter um from the very beginning and certainly Agnes and V were the first characters that came to me um and I so much so that I I feel like I must have had them in my head before I even came up with the idea for the novel but I I don't know that that's true but they're so big and alive and uh so much a part of my brain now that it seems impossible that there was ever a time I didn't have them in mind you know um but I but I I was I tend to write a lot about motherhood even before I was a mother um I think just like parsing out whether I wanted to be a mother um in, like, in my book of short stories, there are a lot of stories about motherhood from, a, like, a slightly different timeline of that uh, identity. And I just think a lot about being a daughter. I thought I was thinking about a lot, a lot about being a daughter as I was writing this. And then I had a daughter. And so I was thinking a lot about being a mother. And so I try to take on both sides of that relationship with the book.
0: And, and Diane, when you say like they're, they're big and alive, uh, B and Agnes, um, mm-hmm. B, the, the mother and Agnes, the daughter, um, who, who then also has the experience of, um, being a mother for mm-hmm. someone too, mm-hmm. um, like they're, they're big and alive. Um, does that mean like... Cause when, how long was it that it, did it take for you to be immersed in the world of the new wilderness? Um, I think,
1: well, that's a really good question. I like, I had the idea in 2012, I put it aside for a couple of years because I didn't want to start writing it yet. But during that time, like, it was building itself in my brain, you know? Like, I was taking notes about it, and I was thinking about it, but I just wasn't doing anything formal with it yet.
0: Why was that? Do you know? Or is it possible to say?
1: Yeah, I was writing the short stories still, and I really cared about that project, and I wanted to finish it. And, you know, I think the questions that were coming to me with the story collection just felt more pressing. Um, and you know, I just had like, I had my own timeline, like I didn't want to write a novel yet, but I just, I had the idea and I, I was really interested in the idea. Um,
0: is that, is that when you had gone, um, on the, the U S forest service walk? Is that where the the germ of the the idea started?
1: Yeah. So I was at this residency on the coast of Oregon called the Sitka Center for Art and Ecology. Um, And I was there for like three months. And it was like the first residency I ever did. I was like pretty new out of grad school. I was working on these short stories. I just had like no other concerns and i was like in this like almost like it's it's such a lush forest right on the coast um and we would go for these walks with the uh, there was a uh nature conservancy land like that uh, was adjacent to the residency and then a national a state forest right behind or a national forest i guess and um it was just like a natural place and a lot of what we did was thinking about i mean a lot of what i did was like obviously writing my the whole point of me being there was to spend time writing but they always had these little um walks or events for us to do with people in the community who you know were like were involved in some way in the local environment and so we went on this walk and it wasn't even the walk itself that like inspired me but we were talking someone mentioned something about uh environmental mitigation which is a, a term for like a policy where if you develop one p- parcel of land you have to m- mitigate another parcel of land back to a, re- a wilded state you know like rewilding something mm. um and i just had this idea like what if There was, like, a huge area that decided that it was going to be the mitigation. Like, it was going to let itself be turned back into a wild place to, like, offset the development happening elsewhere. Um, And, like, that's, like, the very early idea that that got me the place in the novel called The Wilderness State, which is this large, vast wilderness. It's the last wilderness left in the country and it and actually like this origin story i'm telling you like doesn't even really matter anymore because like it's not really necessary for the novel um it's like this is like the very first thing that i thought of and then the novel like took on its own form and then i changed you know like the reasons why something existed or the reasons why people were there. And I was just like fixing problems as I was writing. But like the space itself was this big, large, connected, vast ecosystem. And in my mind, it got to be that way because it had once been a developed place that had been reverted back to a wild place. I forget yeah. what the original question
0: was. Yeah. Well, no, that was great. I was well, it was just um because I think in the acknowledgments section you had said thanks to um two people at the USFS. Yes. Um so I was I was imagining um that that sometimes cuz sometimes when you're walking that's also mm-hmm. when ideas happen. Oh, for
1: me all the time, all the time. And like so much of the book is like written in my iPhone just when I'm walking around. Um, really? But yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I remember that walk. I'll never forget where I had where like I learned what that term was. I didn't know what that term was. And then it just it's like when you learn something that just lights a huge bonfire in your brain, you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) and it just, you know, it's like, it's just a term that I hadn't heard before, but my, my imagination just took it. And it was like the jumping off point for something that became very, like much more complex, um, and, and took on a life of its own, but that was the, definitely the jumping off point.
0: And, and so do you think, because I'm going back to something you said a little bit earlier, Diane, when you, with, like how you you had this idea twenty twelve ish right and then you put it aside um, because you wanted to to stay with the short story project that that became became Man v Nature like there was like right do you think mm-hmm. it actually helped in some way because you were accumulating. Like the idea didn't go away because sometimes people are like, or at least, you know, I've even had this experience where something feels pressing and urgent and, and I might dash down a few things, but if I don't do more of it, it can fade or, or the time passes for it. Um, whereas it sounds almost with, um, the, the new wilderness, you had pieces that you kept, I don't know, gathering or an accumulation Yeah. It, it kept
1: growing for me. I, I, I I know what you mean. Like there are sometimes those ideas that just fade or you kind of talk yourself out of them over time. Yeah. What I did that I think was helpful was that I had the idea and I liked it a lot, but I knew I didn't, I just didn't have the ability to work on it then. And I, so, but I gave myself like a day and I spent the whole day just like, taking a ton of notes about it, like, letting my brain go wherever. I'm sure this is where Bee and Agnes first appeared. Um, I just, like, wrote characters, wrote scenes, took a bunch of notes to myself, like, rules for the world. I spent the whole day, and I think I accumulated, like, 40 pages of notes. Wow. And so, and that was this, like, pure generative, like, I didn't let myself not think something, you know? I just... (laughs) Let myself do all of it, all the you know like as much thinking as I could, as much imagining and creating as I could, and then I so I had that document always to look back on, even when I
0: felt like I was getting
1: lost somewhere, and, um and
0: so it was like in its own way, a type of manifesto, kind of yeah, and and it was just
1: like I'd already started building it, so i couldn't like I couldn't lose faith in it because I'd already built a foundation for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I built enough of of a foundation for it that I I it became a real thing in my mind that I could return to. So even when I was finishing the stories and and, you know, like finishing that book and even promoting it, I was I always had the new wilderness or the wilderness state in my head. Like it was always a real place after that. And so I could always think about it and so even when i'm finishing the stories every now and then i'd start writing this i'd have an idea for the novel and i would just like go jot it down or go spend an afternoon writing about it so that it like slowly accumulated some real material and then and then i guess maybe in 2016 I started really writing it in earnest, hmm. um, and where it was like, that,
0: what does that look like for you? Oh, well, <laughs> b-
1: before that, it looks a lot like, what'd you do today, honey? Oh, I went hiking. <laughs> Did you write? No, <laughs> that's what, that's what my life looked like beforehand. Um, and then when I'm writing in earnest, it's like, I start doing the really, um, Discipline thing of like writing every day, or I mean, not actually writing every day, but uh, trying to get to a word count every day. You know, some writers do word counts where they try and write a thousand words a day,
0: mm-hmm.
1: something like that. I had never done that before I started writing this novel, um, but I, I had to because I think just the novel's just too big, um, yeah. and there's just too much to get down. So, yeah, the real work then became, like, I knew, kind of, the path the novel needed to take, and I had to get through each of those, you know, to each cairn, as I, you know, as I was, like, moving through it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's also, that's a lovely and true image. (laughs) Um, And, and so were those were, because you said you were hiking, right? Which, um, do you also, in, like, if you're in... Brooklyn or so do you have urban hikes or or was it especially important to have some residencies like you you mentioned the Sitka Center and I remember us talking about that that place how important it was for your your story collection too yes um,
1: but yeah, do you also think when you hike,
0: do you think do you think about like are there Brooklyn hikes too well no <laughs> i mean okay. there are but <laughs>
1: it's different. So, I in in the middle of all of this, I had a, a luxurious two and a half year or two years, I guess, in California. Um we relocated to uh Oakland, California for a couple years about 2004 yeah, 2000 sorry, 2014 to 2016. Um so then that was like just hiking nonstop for me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have children yet. So I would running off to do residencies as much as I could. Um, and yeah, so, and another one of the residencies that I did was up in Oregon and on the Eastern side of Oregon in the high desert. And that's where I got the landscape for the new wilderness. Um, where that that landscape really uh, captured me, and and I had to write about it.
0: And so, was there something like a like a caldera that you could see in the distance, or any yeah, caves and different- well,
1: there was this. Yeah, there was. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like there is this cave there called the Paisley Cave, and it's actually where they they have one of the earliest. Um, human relics of like you know a prehistoric uh or a primitive history where there's like fossilized human feces there oh in Oregon um and that was like a place that we visited at the when I was at the residency and yeah there's like you know there's calderas all around I mean not that I could see it but um Crater Lake is there uh it wasn't near where I was but Um, it's like this, you know, that part of the country is this volcanic place. And I think the image in my mind was always like of a Mount, a snow dusted Mount hood that is just so like sharp, you know, it just looks like a triangle on the horizon in some ways.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but there was this caldera nearby that was always closed because like it was a seasonal road up to the top and I was never there during the right season, but it was this double caldera at the top and that definitely like i think partly because i couldn't go visit it like totally captured my imagination and i um end up writing about or imagining it you know and it's like takes you know it's one of the final places that they they uh visit in the book
0: diane would you before we before we go before we go any um further would you mind reading Um, a little bit from, like maybe about two minutes, or so. Oh, sure.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll do maybe just a little bit from a part of where they're walking.
0: Uh, in the landscape. Oh, okay. Would this be the walk when B is is not, not there?
1: No, she's there still. It'll be more general, I think. Okay. Um, here, I'll read a little bit. Okay, I'm going to read, it starts, i want to start reading from the section The Big Walk, um, which starts on page 61. On the big walk, they passed through entirely new landscapes, tumbled into grasslands that smelled of nutmeg after a rain, bugling elk-crowded valleys with sounds of a lost world, the animal equivalent of a haunting, lonesome whistle from the refineries outside the city. They passed into regions of low, strange mountains, a mix of jagged-looking peaks and mellow, rolling, red-capped hills. From far away, some hills stood like tiered wedding cakes. Up close, they were only once solid things crumbling to pieces. Between them lay swaths of grass dotted with juniper and pinion. The stars at night vibrated so closely together, their cloud of light covered the whole of the sky, so much more comforting than the narrow embrace of the Milky Way. They crossed new sage seas where all it did was rain. They didn't know if it was the season or the climate. The wet sage smelled like its best self, better even than its sunbaked self. It smelled clean and soapy and left the air sticky. The deer they met ran and ran and ran, then stopped and looked. And after seeing them still, the deer ran and ran and ran some more. The horizon was unreachable. They found the true desert, or it seemed to them. The soft alkali sands where they lost their tracks as the sun moved overhead, changing the texture of the land with its light. The loamy, dry lake beds, playas, smelled of mushrooms, of dark body crevices. The hot horizon floated in front of their eyes like a river of gold. They walked for days through knee-high plants and alkali lakes, dried and white and glazed and crackled, up long, low slopes, then down, and the sight was always the same. Another expanse of tossed brown and green sagebrush, tufted white grass, each plant distinct and curling into itself, and only itself. They could walk between each bush without touching one. It was a lonely landscape. I'll stop there.
0: Thanks, Diane.
1: Yeah. It's a beautiful place that I... You know, beautiful places... um, inspired the wilderness state and i I, it's basically like an amalgam of all the beautiful striking places out west that i had the
0: privilege of seeing with my own eyes you know it's well you can tell in the writing you can feel this this very much this um it feels like a, like this deep connection, or honest, some honest connection of this, how much, like this this land is is valued, like how much it is. Maybe it's also part of the the deep attention too. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what I
1: wanted this book to be as much about nature as people um
0: and why why is that I just
1: I don't know I mean I because that's what I like (laughs) I like nature maybe more than people (laughs) no I like people um (laughs) most of the time um I well I you know i think most of the things that i read are nature writing it would be called nature writing like i read a lot of nonfiction. my whole like base of thinking about the world comes from a naturalist perspective um i mean the the reason you and i connected was because we had a mutual friend who i taught with at the new england literature program which is the program at university of michigan um and that's like where the program where we would read Walden and Emerson and like read Frost and Dickinson and talk about literature through a lens of what it means to be in the same landscape that it's, mm-hmm. that it's talking about. And so I think extracting place from people is like something I can't do anymore. Um, it's just like to... They're just, they're just the same to me. Um, And I don't, and I don't know if it's like some fantasy life that I was trying to live or, I mean, I live in Brooklyn. It's like a shocking thing to most people who know me well that I, I, I I've lived in Brooklyn for almost 20 years. It doesn't make any sense to who I am as a person and yet. It's, it's what I do um, but I think it's it's like either I write about the natural world as a way to escape where I live or or I write about the natural world in some kind of response I don't know I just I just think the natural world tells me a lot more about things about things life and about people than the man-made world. And I will say that like being in a city and thinking about nature and trying to see nature is its own kind of work and a really rewarding work. Um, I know I laughed earlier when you were like, did you hike in Brooklyn? (laughs) Um, But like, I can hike in Brooklyn. I live really near this great park and Um there are actually hills that make me breathe a little harder, you know, like (laughs) it's like, it's a real, there is nature and you know, my apartments infested with cockroaches and we have mice and that's nature too, you know,
0: (laughs) lots of creatures, little beings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like nature is also the absence of, in my mind. So it's something that I'm thinking about all the time, even when it's not in front of me, because it's something that I want And I don't, I honestly don't know where that desire came from. I grew up in the suburbs, you know, Um, but it's, it's just something some, somewhere along the line, I crossed the path with some kind of wild thing that like took me uh, with it, you know, and I, I just, it's something that I just love to think about. Though, like, I'm not someone who's, like, lived like this. Like, I don't generally go... I'm not a super rustic person. I don't go backcountry camping. Like, I stay on paths and I use maps. And, you know, I mostly car camp these days because I have two kids. And um,
0: Right, right.
1: But I but, don't know. Yeah, I just love it.
0: Well, and, yeah, because it, it, it seems like it's it definitely feels like it's a way of understanding the world where the world actually, I don't know. It's a feeling as well as a a thinking thing. I think with it being in nature, like the experience of being, um, open in the natural space. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the book, Diane too, like hearing you talk a little bit about, you know, Brooklyn and, um, because like, that would be informing parts of um, the new wilderness, because there's parts about the metropolis and how um, they were, I think, uh, they were lucky because they had a tree in their neighborhood, like in their, like one tree in mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. <laughs> and that was a rare thing in this, this metropolis, right? Yeah. The, how things, and the air in this metropolis was what... I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, the setup for why, um, why there is a need for volunteers in the wilderness state? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, so the book is this like speculative near future view of, um, a world where because of Various things, but probably mostly because of climate change and the degradation of the land and resources we already have. Um, the world has gotten to, or the country has gotten to this point where most of the people live in like this huge metropolis called the city and all the other land in the country is being used for resources to to support that population Um But there's one last wild place, you know, um, a wilderness area and it's, it exists basically by the grace of whatever science, government, like it's, it's the last thing. Um, everything else has been developed in some way or being used in some way. And this is the only place that's not being used outwardly for anything, um, except to study it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the city, and because it's just, like, such... It's, like, imagining the Industrial Revolution and what it would be like to live through that. But, you know, again. You know what I mean? Like, there's going to be a time when... I mean, it, I mean, it's already the case. Like, where the cities are really polluted. Kids in the city have breathing problems. And, you know, there's no real true night because there's so much light pollution and I mean it's just like I just took what the city really is for many people and pushed it to its most extreme. So in the city, kids like get really sick from the air. Um people are like literally living on top of one another. Everything has basically been turned into a high rise and your home is like a very small apartment and a big high rise. And I basically have B and Agnes are this mother and daughter. Agnes is very sick. B is um, trying to find a way to make her well, but she's run out of options. Like, the medicines don't work. There's really nothing that they can do for her, except as one of the doctors says, who treats her kind of on the after hours, she says it's the only thing that Agnes needs is New air, you know, different air. Yes. And so B learns of this study that is asking for volunteers to go live in the wilderness state, um, you know, under the idea that they want to study how people and nature interact because it hasn't happened in so long that it's kind of this lost history. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you know in the same way that we study things now someone's got some idea and they want to test it so they want 20 volunteers to go live there as, as naturally as possible so as prehistoric hunter gatherers where they leave no trace they make no mark they make no permanent um, impact on the land and they, part, of the, part of the experiment is to see if they can do that if people can even live in, in nature without impacting it in some way.
0: And how they would do it too. Yeah.
1: And how, um, so that is the, that's kind of the setup. And then the novel starts after this group of 20 volunteers has been there for a couple of years. So all of the like (laughs) drama, you know, all the dramatics and all of the like, you know, early deaths and, you know, trying to figure things out and the real hardship is over and now it's just life and they've like figured out how to live there and now they're just living there and it's still a very hard life because it's like daily survival, but it's also this strangely bureaucratic like monotonous life, um, much like their life was in the city. And I mean, I really wanted to look at how something so different could also feel the same. Um, as far as like living is concerned.
0: Look, Cause I think that is actually, <laughs> I love that you think that because it's this way of thinking we're going to be the people we're going to be no matter where we are mm-hmm. and, and maybe taking responsibility for that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, one of the things that I knew was that I would write a book where the heroes seemed very different than a hero in like a heroic book. You know, like I wanted people to just be people. I wanted mothers to be not like the classic mom. And I wanted villains to not be the classic villain. I wanted everyone to just seem very human even in their like bitchiness and their like, you know, when they're literally in a moment of life and death and all they can think about is, you know, a rope, you know what I mean? Right. Um, Right. I just think that that's more realistic and I don't know what that makes this kind of book than like literary. I don't know. (laughs) Is it like, I see, I think a lot of people are trying to struggle with like what to call this book. Um, Kind of yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that I go on goodreads and and read reviews, but I do, and it's, it's there's a lot of uh different opinions about what this book is. It's very interesting, anyway, whatever kind of genre allows you to just write people as people, that's what I did,
0: <laughs> <laughs> or that's what I tried to do. I wanted to ask you, I don't know and how communities work because at the beginning volunteers in the wilderness state they were they're called the community and they would decide things in a community fashion like there wasn't like one one leader although there was sort of a de facto slight understood leader i think diane unless i'm missing something um with uh which is possible entirely possible um that Glenn, because um, he had been, a, I think, a university professor, he had been someone who was instrumental, maybe even in setting up this type of study, mm-hmm. um, and he yeah. he is part he's partnered with B and is the um, even though Agnes isn't his daughter, he has adopted her in his heart, right? Mm-hmm, um, definitely. So, when you were writing, much later in the arc of the novel like this part when glenn is getting getting sicker and sicker um and weaker what do you th- why was it important for you to write that part in the community how they treated glenn as he gets sicker they have
1: a harder time taking care of him that yeah cuz they
0: they don't take care of
1: him right um yeah they don't i mean according so b and agnes well, Agnes a little less because she's a little still a little young to totally understand all the ins and outs. But when B returns, she finds um, Glenn pretty ill, um, and to her, it's like they're not taking care of him. And to them, they feel like they're doing way more than they normally would. Because he's Glenn. Because they wouldn't want to hurt Agnes. Um... And I... Basically, like... There's... There's hints throughout that, um... I'm trying to explain, like, their sense of... How the natural... Survive... How, like, survival has impacted them. And changed their humanity. Mm -hmm. Um and they've like had to leave people behind and they've had to just they've lost someone tragically and quickly and then been walking again within you know several minutes
0: um yes
1: they just have to they just have to keep moving on which is something i'm just fascinated by how different people grieve um and i think that's probably where that comes from but also that like and when you, I mean, I like watch a lot of nature documentaries. Um, it's like, I always have, it's like one of my earliest memories. And that's like the story of that. They're always telling in those is like the, like life or death battle every day for that. All of those animals are undertaking. Um, whether it's, you know, and like a Fox raiding uh, a, you know, rabbit den and like, you know, eating the babies or like lions taking down an old or a young um gazelle. You know, like it's just mm-hmm. like that's just the world. And you're the whole point day to day is just to survive it and to figure out ways of doing that. Um of either like tricking trickery or just brute survival. And I felt like if my people were gonna live like wild things um, that they were going to lose something and gain something at the same time and so they were going to lose a bit of the conventions and traditions of being a human, of being a social of of society and they were going to revert back to people who live moment to moment, you know
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because from from the very first, the opening moments after we've got the epigraphs, um, which are great. I love that you have two, Aldo Leopold and then also Alex Chilton. Um, <laughs> it made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> well, I think it really does. I think it, and it does, it, it's almost like you definitely need both.
1: Mm-hmm, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but but so the, the first, because we were talking about um, when we heard you read earlier, Diane, we were in part three, the big walk. And then, mm-hmm. but part one, the ballad of uh, Beatrice, uh, we, we start out in a, a very, um, I don't know, could you talk about, like, why this, like, how you decided this was the first scene? Um, will, you, will you talk through it?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the first scenes I ever wrote for the book. So that day that I, I mentioned that I just sat down. Yes. Um, I think it's like one of the very first things I wrote. It was always the beginning. Um, and uh, until the very end, I think at the very end, when I was like, had, I was maybe on my third draft or something and a couple people had read it and I knew I was handing it in really soon. I kind of lost confidence briefly and thought, you can't open a book like this. Like this is too much. Um, But then I decided that I had to do it this way. Um, So it's begins with B. She has, she's been pregnant and has just miscarried or, I mean, it's, it's debated. I mean, she's basically has a stillbirth at the beginning of the book um, that you 're present for, and because they live in the wild, she has to leave the fetus out um and leave it behind and i even in my wavering about like whether I could open a book this way because it 's a very lonely, hard scene um yes, but I think it sets up something that you need to have in the back of your mind as you read B's character, because I think she can be really complicated and difficult to understand sometimes. And I knew that even though that beginning part is hard, um, she's the one who endures it. And I think that if you keep that memory with you, as you read her, you have more empathy for her, um, throughout some of the things that she does in the book, which are, can be difficult to understand. Um, or that was my, that was my hope anyway, is that you couldn't ever totally turn your back on B because you saw her go through something really harrowing. Um, and you know that, 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 that affected her. And even though she is thorny and tough, that's, Coming out in some way, Um, so I wanted I wanted you to always. I wanted someone on her side, I guess you know. Um, Even though I knew that she had a more difficult story to tell, uh, because I'm on her side, and I wanted there to be a tenderness towards her, even when she does things that just seem wrong.
0: Thanks for talking about that, Diane. Because I, yeah, that it feels like, a necessary, like, lens, in a way. Like, like we know, so everything else we learn and are introduced to about the, whether it's something that predates that in her life or comes after in the wilderness state. And mm-hmm. then you just, you, you have that. Because I think there are moments that also change us and make us who we are as people and that this is a way where you were yeah you were brave to clearly show us a moment that made the character made her who she is
1: mhm yeah and i um yeah i i felt like it was important um and even like i said i i never wavered until i wavered and then i wavered hard <laughs>
0: Well, how did you Um, get back to it then? What happened, Diane? Well, I think I just, I was at like the,
1: almost the end of a project. And I don't know if you ever get like this where it's like, I mean, I've been working on it for like five or five years Mm -hmm. and then suddenly was certain that it was terrible and like nothing made sense. And like, I couldn't do it this way. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like, um, like all the animals like howling right when the, sun goes down you know what i mean like yeah there's just like the, your last gasp where you're just gonna like this is the last time i'm gonna freak out so i'm gonna freak out real hard it's a big one yeah <laughs> and my freak out was like i'm gonna cut the first scene you know um which i think happens when people write books all the time uh they change the beginning and the end like many times or multiple times are really late That makes a lot of sense to me. But this one, so this was. um, I did play around with a prologue for a little while, but then I cut it at some point. Um, But this was always the first scene, and then, and I think it it makes sense. Um, And I also think it, like, is a weirdly clean way of bringing you into the world because she is going through this heroin experience in the desert. But she has a memory of what it was like with her first daughter. And you also... which which happened in the city. And so she has these connections to the past and to that place that are complicated for her to parse all the time, you know, given the life that she lives now. And also there's this idea of um, family and... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for like generations and also this idea of like what kind of world they live in now and that how fast a perception of that could change so she is thinking I mean she's lost the baby and she's distraught by it but she also knows it's the right thing because she doesn't think it's she doesn't think that it was the right thing to do to bring a child into this world but she brought a child into this world not that long ago Um, and I think that there that's something I feel like more and more women and families are going to have to think about as we get closer or as we just keep going down this destructive path we're on like in our real world right now Um, of just like I think that calculation is going to be changing all the time. And I felt like it was really important for her to have that calculation, uh,
0: to be making that calculation as well. Yes. Yeah. Why, why was it important for the story, um, that we, we end situated with Agnes?
1: Um, uh, the novel, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think again with that, like, Lineage of of women
0: because um, there's a big and, shift. It feels like
1: yeah. So at some point, the, Agnes. So it, the book is written in close third, but it's close to B in the first half, and it's close to Agnes in the second. It's Agnes's story by the end, and that always made sense to me because B. It's like a passing of of power down through the generations in some way. Um, and the story you know once Agnes comes of age and inherits the world that they're living in then it's hers to tell you know I think that that it's her world to make better or worse and I think that there's this big question for her of what mothers are and what her mother was and why they always I think the big question of the novel between her and B between B and Agnes and it's about like who they are to one another and why they can't ever seem to really connect the way they want to and i think that is i think it's pretty universal with parents but most more mothers and daughters i just think there's something elemental in that relationship that is always perplexing even when it's close, um, and, you know, healthy, uh, and, and their relationship isn't necessarily always healthy. Um, but I think they really love each other, but they always miss each other. And so I wanted Agnes to come to a place where she could begin to understand what that kind of love was, that love for someone who eventually will outgrow you, um, And because I think that that is the heartache, that's Bee's heartache is, and I think it's every parent's heartache is that if you do your job well, your kids don't need you anymore eventually. And um, you're raising them to become something separate from you. That's your whole job. And I think I wanted that to play out fully through both of those characters. I wanted Agnes to see that heartbreak a little bit too.
0: I think and there's a beautiful moment um towards the very end of the novel and we're in that we're in closely with Agnes and and she says it feels at times like the only instinct left in me it's the only way I know to raise a daughter. It's how my mother raised me. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: thought a lot about my, I, maybe we talked about this in the last time we spoke but my mother passed away in 2008 and I think a lot of my writing over the past decade has been trying to parse how well, parse like how to grieve um, yes. and also how to like keep a hold or read or collect or somehow gain access to the things that those people we lose take with them. Um, And there's like so much that I would love to ask my mom now that I never would have thought to ask her before because I wasn't like, for example, a mother or I wasn't married when she died. Um, I wasn't a lot of things by the time I lost her. And every day I can think of like 10 questions that I would love to ask her about just what's happening in my life during that day. And even though I can ask friends and I can ask other people, there's just like, I just want to ask her. And so I wanted that question of like, how do you I feel like I'm collecting a base or like a bag of knowledge to pass along to my daughter and I think my mother felt like that too whether she understood that or not and what happens to that knowledge when it's not shared before like that relationship is broken in whatever way it doesn't even have to be death but um, like how do you gain access to all the things that that person took with them or how do you mourn that loss of information or how do you become, how do you learn about the world when that teacher is gone? You know what I mean? Um, And I really wanted Agnes to begin to feel that um, because as she ages into someone whose life is going to become about someone else now, which is kind of what happens when you become a parent.
0: I, Thank you, Diane. I, and I love how in the characters of Agnes and Fern, you really made nature such a part of them. Like with Agnes, I don't know, if it, just what we were talking about from the very beginning of our conversation today, like the natural world is so much a part of of, of both of them and Fern even Mm -hmm. more than Agnes, which goes Mm -hmm. to what you're saying about each of the generations of, you know, the mother, daughter, loved ones. Um, Yeah. I was really
1: happy when Fern appeared (laughs) to me. (laughs) It just, it made me really happy. It also like, cause Agnes goes through a lot of loss and in the end she has this big, beautiful, gift in Fern, someone to love and someone to take care of and someone to like launch into the world. And I, I think, I think it's like something she wants to experience and she gets to.
0: Diane, thanks for talking today with me.
1: Of course. It was my pleasure. I love talking with you.
0: I loved it. I've loved it. Um, today on Living Writers, The New Wilderness by Diane Cook Diane I hope we speak again soon Oh me too <laughs> Thanks for listening everyone I I'm T Hetzel until next time
1: Maybe I'm in love with you
0: I say maybe,
1: maybe I'm in love with you. You put your arms around me, I'm in love with you. You say that you believe me, that our love is true. I say maybe, maybe I'm
0: I love it, a stranger.
1: Welcome back to, to, uh, welcome back to Daily Sports Report here on WCB on FM Ann Arbor 88.3. My name is Andrew Miller. Adam Bressler is here as my co-host. Adam Bressler, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Uh, speaking to you live from the Northwood Apartments as I am continuing to isolate despite having two negative tests and zero symptoms in the past two weeks. Really? You had you had a scare? No, my brother got it and since I went to the Dairy Queen, they made me uh isolate. But since I've started isolating, I've gotten zero uh symptoms. I've got two negative tests, but they're saying it could show up. So they're having me isolate for another 5 days or so. That's that's the unfortunate aspect of contact tracing, my friend.
0: Yeah, yeah. it happens. It
1: happens, it sucks, but we get through it. But uh, what we don't get through is we are here to discuss sports. And by golly, last night was supposed to be the game of the century. And we yeah. all, all I'm taking away from this is Patrick Mahomes is, is the man. I mean, give me your thoughts real quick, Russell. So it was billed as the game of the year. And at least for me, it didn't really live up to that. Baltimore was a bit of a dud, which was unfortunate.
0: And uh, the game was out of reach by the second half, even though it was like close